The reading is taken from John 15. John 15, reading from verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Thank you, Merv. Let's pray. Father, may this passage, as we continue John's Gospel, be one that feeds us, be one that moves us, be one that teaches us about you, and encourage us to live a life closer to your ways. Amen. Well, friends, we've been on a, a two-month-ish journey of break from John's Gospel, and it's a joy to be able to come back into John in the back end of John 15 and, uh, and carry on all the way to the cross, the resurrection and to the end of that particular gospel. We're going to do that until Advent and then we'll move into an Advent Christmas series and into the new year. I've titled this sermon In the Wake of Jesus. Do you remember our passage two months ago? You may have been here, you may have watched online, you may not have a clue. But we were in the beginning of John 15 what is that all about? Do you remember that sermon? What was it about? What was the word that stuck with you from that first half of John 15? Someone shouted through a mask. Abide. Abide in me and I will abide in you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. We've been created again, recreated. We've got a, a new identity, a new bloodline. We've been grafted into the vine of Christ. And we're to remain there. We're to make our home there. We're to abide in the vine that is Jesus Christ. And so over these last two months, how has your abiding been? How have you been doing 
How have you found remaining with Jesus over these last couple of months since we were in that passage? This is where we are to remain. This is where we are to be. And it is a, a struggle at times, isn't it? We are intrinsically linked with Jesus, but that comes with quite a stark warning. I quite like the fact that the Lord's given us a couple of months off between abiding and the next half of this chapter. It's quite interesting that he's let us sit with that for a while and learn to abide before suddenly we have this stark warning that Jesus also tells the disciples. You see, Jesus is more than a teacher. He's more than our guru. He's more than just a guy who had some good things to say. He is our master. He doesn't say, keep my teaching and develop it as you progress as a society and culturally. He says, remain. He doesn't say, build on this. This is great foundation for you guys to get better than me. He doesn't say that. He says, abide. Not in what I say, but in me. See, these disciples who are listening to Jesus, they are forever more living in his wake. Jesus is the boat, and there's a wake made. They're in the middle of that. Sometimes it's calm because of the speed that it's going at, but when he moves, it can get rocky, but you're still following. That's where they're to be. In the area behind the powerful God, and I want to zone in to our passage. If you've got the passage, please open it or turn your Bible on. We want to be in John 15. I'd love you to have this in front of you because I want you to read this. If you need a book version, then JB will grab you one with the sanitized hands out of the COVID-free cupboard. So if you want one, just stick a hand up and JB will sort that for you. If you have one on your phone, it's more COVID safe, please use that. Or you might have brought your own one. There's two here, JB. So we've got this open in front of us, John chapter 15. I want to show you verse 20. Remember the word that I said to you. Remember the word that I said to you. Remember is, is simply keeping your memory. Let this be a reminder to you for them to use as a tool. JB, just in the middle there. For them to use as a tool. This isn't, can you recall this so I can teach you more now? This is a, don't forget this. Verse 20, what is it that he says? A servant is not greater than his master. A servant is not greater than his master. This is what he says, remember. You see, our identity has changed. Christians are utterly changed. The vine changes our use, our purpose, and our fruit. When we're grafted in, you stop creating bananas and you start making grapes. Your fruit changes when we're grafted into the vine. And God, the vine dresser, he, he is intimate with us. Let me tell you this, he is intimate with us. With a pair of close cutting garden scissors he comes close and he prunes now we know yeah he prunes it so it bears more fruit we remember that from last time 
But, but as N.T. Wright states, he says, it is when the gardener, let me find that quote, the vine dresser is never closer to the vine, taking more thought over its long-term health and productivity than when he has the knife in his hands. I know that for many of us, for different reasons, not helped by the looming pandemic over our heads, never knowing if we're being locked down or, or locked up or set free, church has had to change and we're, we're not allowed to talk to each other, which takes away fellowship, which is an essential part of the body of Christ. We're halfway back to normality now, but it feels like we've just stepped back again. Further lockdowns coming up, mental health can be a daily struggle, the expected lives that we were meant to live in 2020 as we push on to the end of the year are gone. All of our expectation for 2020, gone. And we're looking to Christmas, how does that feel? Well, we, don't, we don't know, Christmas is coming and we're expecting a Christmas without normal joy. Somewhere we're gonna be limited, but perhaps we're even going to be closed for Christmas. Now I know for many of us, we're having really, really tough times. And on top of that, COVID is pushing in. For some of you, you might be absolutely fine and your lives aren't actually touched, and that's cool. But, but we are, as a community, as a city, as a nation, as a world, in a time of real despair. I want to be clear with you, Jesus allows for this to happen. That might be a bit weird, but Jesus allows for this to happen. Now, now we can talk about the cosmic thing going on, but I want to zone into you. As a disciple of Christ, living in the wake of Jesus, he allows for your experience to be cut. He will cut off branches in you as you face Christmas in a, in a sad way, different to how you want it maybe. He's cutting off branches in you that bear no fruit. And as he does that, you will bear more fruit. The times we're going through, if you talk to anyone over WhatsApp, you're going to find that the experiences that we're having are all radically different. God is taking us on individual journeys of difficulty. Individual struggles with our families and our mental health and our relationships that are divided apart. Individual financial situations and job situations. And he's producing more fruit, but it hurts. It hurts, friends, and we need to be real about that. Jesus wants bigger grapes. It's in our weakness that his strength is shown. As we learn what it is to be weak and helpless, we'll see his strength and beauty. And we'll get juicier, juicier grapes. Keep your eyes on him in this difficult time. Keep your eyes on him in this process that we're on. It's part of our Christ-like character building. Remember, suffering, Romans chapter 5, suffering it produces perseverance. We push on with Christ. 
And perseverance, it changes our character. We become more like Jesus. And as our character is sanctified by the Spirit, we become more like Jesus, we know more about the hope of God. Keep your eyes on him in this process, church. It doesn't feel good, but it is good for us because it's good for Christ. As we produce more fruit, our identity is like that of Jesus. We're growing into his Christ-likeness. And remember, a servant is not greater than his master. If we're following in the way of Jesus, he warns his disciples that life will be hard, not, not pandemics at this point. But I was pointing out that we are suffering and he is pruning. And in pruning, there will be fruit. But this warning is starker and more individual for these disciples. If you're following the way of Jesus, he warns his disciples that the consequence will be that the world will hate us. Now that doesn't make sense to most of us who know quaint English Christianity is a lovely thing. Why on earth would the world hate us? We give them christenings and marriages and funerals. You see, that's not, that's not what we were called to do. We should serve the world, for sure. But Jesus says the heart of the world is different to the heart of the church. Remember from chapter 1 in John, he writes, The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Verse 10, he, Jesus, was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He stood there. I am he. Jesus standing there. He was here. And they refused to know him. He came to his own, to his own people, and they didn't receive him. The heart of the world is to reject Christ. We know that, verse 12, but, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. There is a group who, who did receive him. Jesus stood there and they went, I am following. I can't miss him. I am going. Jesus, tell me what to do and I'm on my way. There are some that received him. And praise God, since then, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands have continued to receive him. But that doesn't stop the fact that the rest reject and our message is that they can receive. So he warns these disciples, after the command to remain in him, to journey with the pruning, that if the world hates you, know that it hates me first. Why? Why would the world hate Christians? Let's move on a slide. Why would the world hate Christians? But simple, simply because we're on the wrong team. We're on the wrong team. Why do fans at football games fight? They're not the players. They're not the managers. They're not the investors. But why do they fight? Because they, they wear the badge. Because they're part of the club. And so they can beat each other up. I don't think all football fans do this, Roy, but I hear that some do. They can't beat each other up because they, they identify with, their identity is with the club. So if you've got the shirt on, you're not part of my crew. 
The reality is there's a heart difference between Christians and the world. A more serious example is for this. Perhaps it's a bit like an abuser's partner finally escaping the house. Verse 19. If you were in the world, the world would would love you as its own. But because you were not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. You see, we were in the world. But we were chosen out of the world. Jesus chose his disciples. He's chosen us out. We've been taken away by the grace of God. And because this happens, the world dislikes us now. We've left them. You see, it is as salvific as an abuser's partner finally leaving. It is that serious, and the hatred that the world has for someone it can't hold on to, someone it can't grasp anymore, someone it can't control anymore, it's fierce, even under a nice pretty face. Even under the guard of niceness and care and love and charity, being a slave to the world as opposed to a slave to Christ is a confusing relationship waiting for the final day of an abuser when it takes hold of us for good throws the final blow like an abuser telling us that it would never happen it's never going to happen, they're really sorry but that's exactly where the world will take us I know it's a very very hard image for some of us but the world tries to prove to us that it's not that bad and it won't hurt us but that's why we needed salvation. And Christ offers that to all who believe. We need to be clear that the world hating the disciples isn't because Christianity has got anything wrong. It has got lots wrong in the past. The church has been the abuser. We are also aware of that today, and for that we should repent and change. But that's not why the world hates us, although they have plenty of reason to. Because our hearts and their hearts are far apart. They will not do, sorry, they will do to the church what they did to Jesus. They will drag us to the cross. It's what they did to him. It's because they hate God. If you were of the world, verse 19, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. If we leave the world for a different master, the world hates us because it hated him first. So were they right? Was Jesus right? Does the world hate us? I think it's a big checking point for us. Do our non-Christian friends just find us a little bit more difficult? Does the world really struggle with the church? There's plenty of evidence over the last two millennium that Christians have been persecuted because of who they follow. Simply because of the name of Jesus. They're the ones that have historically set up education and hospitals and good things for society, for culture, serving the poor, welcoming to their house, and yet still, we see it in Acts, we see it in the letters, we see it in the early church, they were to be persecuted because of Jesus. And today, 49 countries 
today are still actively imprisoning and killing Christians. They're the most extreme cases, but they're still doing it. The biggest persecution of people across the world. Today in the UK, for holding up Christian teaching in the public sphere, some of you are really aware of this, it could cost you your job. It could cost you your job. It can cost you your friends. It can cost you your family. Just this week, there was a, a case in court, um, and, and we can look this up. I don't have the, the, the writing on me, but this, this woman who had put on her Facebook page something about transgenderism and how she was struggling to relate that with God from her own Christian point of view, her school, as a teacher, fired her took it to court and the court simply said well actually you've done nothing wrong but we're, we're still going with the school letting you go because we, we agree that the school holds values that are different to yours and your values could cause offence not that they do but they could so she's done nothing wrong they say and yet she loses her job all very nice desperately dark this is the way if you, if you refuse to wear something you struggle to wear because it aligns yourself with, with a group that you wouldn't like to encourage or if you refuse to hold fast to the theory of evolution perhaps not that we have a particular issue with that but as science teachers in the room we may struggle to do that and we see people fired if you offer to pray with somebody and they, they um, complain about you in, in, in your doctor's room, there's danger there for you. Christian values are being worn away. And that's not about Christian values. It's about Jesus. We know our situations. And we need to be really aware that the heart of the world struggles and ultimately hates the hearts of Christians. Now, our lives are not like our brothers and sisters across the world yet. We aren't imprisoned for saying we follow Jesus, but they are. Persecution is real there, but hating is real here. Jesus said it would be. He explains in our passage, and he explains what he's done and what they've done. He spoke to them, he told the disciples, and now they know. Let me just take you through verse 22. Jesus did two things when he came. It says this, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now there is no excuse for their sin. If I had not done among them the works that, both, that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my Father. For the, world, for the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. Two Psalms quote that. They hated me without a cause. And Jesus says he did two things. He came and he spoke. He spoke and he acted. He came and he did. Speech and works. Verse 22, spoken to them. Verse 24, done among them the works that no one else did. By his words he told the truth, by his works he showed the truth. 
They have heard and they have seen, and now there's no excuse. Jesus has stood there in the world and said, look. But they still reject. So what do we do? The world has had God himself come and reveal the truth of his love to them. Yet they nailed him to the cross. Yet they prefer his ways. Yet they reject and hate. They refuse to abide in the place that every human heart finds home. So what do we do? Friends, this is what we do. We live in the wake of Jesus. Even when it gets hard and we struggle. Even in our own personal suffering in life. Even in real hatred facing us. Even in losing our jobs or friends thinking we're weird. Even in those moments. When our friends shun us for not being the one at the stag do who will go to the strip club. For being the person that even though we're on the same rung of the ladder in our career path doesn't buy that car and live in that part of London and have that home. Because we're giving too much away to be able to afford that. Even if you're the person at the gym when that guy's looking up and down you're the person that says, you know what, I'm not, I'm not going to commit adultery. And people go, why not? He's well fit. The reality is, people will look at us and go, this is a bit weird. I don't know why you wouldn't take that, that, that life path. Little persecutions, medium persecutions, big persecutions. Different hearts. But we have the same gig. We continue to work as Jesus did. We continue to live as Jesus did, with words and deeds. Words and deeds. We continue to do life with him, abiding in him, being pruned and growing fruit. Keep living the gospel. Keep speaking the gospel. Even the biggest haters can have their lives turned around by the good news of loving Christ Jesus. His death, his resurrection, his journey of being grafted into the vine and the sanctification we get in Christ. Some of our brothers and sisters are sitting in prison with that same prayer as us today. But we need not worry. To close, why shouldn't we worry? Verse 26. Because the helper has come. Jesus is risen. Jesus is ascended. But God himself has come. The Holy Spirit is with us. You see, we have God still. The Holy Spirit lives in the church. He comes, whom I'll send from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. He will bear witness about me, which is why, friends, we have our scriptures. That's why we can trust the New Testament. Because Jesus said to the disciples, the Holy Spirit will come and bear witness to me, and they wrote it down. This is the witness to him. But also we have the Holy Spirit in our lives bearing witness again, convicting us with the word and in prayer. And then he says, you will also bear witness. The Spirit's doing a job, and we're doing a job. As we long for Christmas to be better than it probably will be, we continue in the power of the Spirit, who is our helper, bearing witness to Jesus, who will save us from this misery. As somebody holds a gun to your head and says, deny the name of Christ, and you say, I'm sorry, mate, I can't. 
in that fear we can still bear witness saying Jesus took worse than this and I live in his wake. The helper is with me, the spirit is here and I will bear witness as he does. We are by the spirit, Christ's continuing body on earth. One body, many parts. Those many parts make up one body, it's the same with Christ. We are baptized into one Holy Spirit. And so we are formed into one body. Doesn't matter who you are, we are the body of Christ living in his wake. Are we bold enough, friends? Are we bold enough to really abide in Jesus, even if our identity means that the world will hate us? Two more slides, please. There we go. Or does the world hold on to us a little bit more than we want? Check your lives. Does the world actually accept you and love you? The Spirit can free us from that. Can free us to abide closer in the vine. Do you attribute the puning, pruning to God and in times, real hardship, struggle, pain, all of that, do you attribute that as pruning to God and long for the fruit, look for the fruit? Can you get out of the moment where we're living and go, I know of a greater thing that's coming. I trust God will bring that fruit. Can you do that? I can tell you from personal experience, that is really hard. With the help of God, he can, he can lengthen our view of our hard situations. And thirdly, friends, our culture and our society is getting further and further away from simply accepting the view of God. We are fighting battles that we haven't fought for many years. Are we prepared to be shunned more? To trust God with our careers, our friendships? Are we prepared? I'm not saying it's all going to happen. But is our heart prepared to follow in the wake of Jesus with our comfy lives in southwest London? To be prepared to sacrifice more for him now? Hate that's going to hate. The world doesn't get us, but we get them because we've been there, and we can tell them of a far greater story than theirs. But friends, what I want to do um, is I want us to just take a minute together, and I want you to read through that passage again. John 15, 18, 27. To spend a little bit of time reading that. We're going to play a song, then we're going to sing our final couple of songs and we'll close our service. But take this time with you and God. This is his word and your life. You don't need me to allow the word to speak to you. So take what I've said. Bundle it up with you and your Lord. We're going to play this song. And let's just spend some quiet with him. John 15, 18 to 21. And friends, I'm going to give you a minute. And if you would like to have any comment, say a comment, or you've got a prophecy, or you've got a question, we'll bring our massive microphone over to you, and you have your space now to speak. Let's spend some time in the Word.
if there's anything that you would like to comment on, share from your reading. Just stick a hand up and JB will run. It's just good to be able to open it up together. Just touch you to share it. serve in a spirit of love and to serve each other, to walk in the spirit of love. Okay. just want to say thank you so much for that quote from N.T. Wright, um, that God is never as close to us as when he's got the knife in his hand, which sounds really scary and really ironic, but when we know that it's a loving God who um, wants to, to shape us intimately and make us better in his sight, um, that just encourages me and hopefully all of us to take the long-term view that yeah, these are really difficult, painful times, but um, the fruit that we will bear as a result will, will, be, will be fabulous and we have to go through that, that refining time. Absolutely, thank you. Well, why don't we, Mervyn, why don't we call the band up as well at the same time? Thanks, Mervyn. There's a word in this passage that, that really worries me, um, and, it, and it came up in our life groups this week as well. I don't have an answer to it, but I'm wrestling with it, uh, and that is the word hate. Yeah. Uh, politically incorrect, I would think. It's not a word we use these days, no. and yet it's, word, it's used in the Bible, and I, I have no doubt about that. I, I don't have questions about translation. I just have questions about why it's used yeah. and it certainly is not a lukewarm word no. that's right thank you but keep wrestling with that keep wrestling with that and I think my only response just, just on that point is we don't understand in our culture and our society the, the real valley between the hearts of Christians and non. We smooth things over. But the valley is deep. But the bridge is built. And I think it's really uncomfortable. 